Blackcast. Christian Blatt here, uh, joined by my friend Adam Wade, a past guest of the Blackcast. Adam Wade, who is at Adam Wade on Twitter, and AdamWade.com is the website. Adam, welcome back to the Blackcast. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you, Christian. Uh, come to you live from Manhattan. New York, New York, the city's so nice I named it twice. Uh, you'll hear some ambient noise, a lot of traffic noise because of where I am. It's also a little echoey. You hear that, Adam? You hear the little... little, little yeah, just lean in a little bit so that uh, the audio-only audience can hear you. Okay, sure. 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 Adam, it turned out, was about a block away from where I am, so it was like, it was really easy to just peer pressure him into like, well, it's been a while since you've been on the black cast. And you know, just the other day, I was out in Hoboken, we did a little Facebook Live out there, and uh, we had some Benny Tadinos. Uh, you know, Benny Tadino is home of the largest slice, and I say, for me, for my bottom dollar, Benny Tadinos in Hoboken is my favorite pizza just period, anywhere. Uh, I like it better than any pizza in New York, and people uh, take umbrage with that. But you've had some issues with Benny Tadino in the past. You got a very good slice when you were with me the other day, though. Yeah, the, the first thing is, he is he's absolutely correct when he says it's his favorite um, pizza because he came in all the way to Hoboken. I mean, it's, I yeah. love Hoboken, but I mean, it, it, you, you made the effort. And not only that, you went back and you got us two slices to go. Yeah, my wife and I ate those two slices last night, uh, and you know because they were to go and there was only a little bit left, they were bigger than normal. I mean, Benny slices are always big. These were huge. These were like the size of my entire torso. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but the size of my three-year-old son's torso for sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the size of my son is how big they were. Uh, and I've said this in the past that a lot of times when you get big pizza, you don't necessarily get good pizza. Like Seaside Heights down the Jersey Shore, they have like, you know, big slices, 99 cents. Well, you're getting what you pay for there. They're, they're not good. They taste like the plate that they're being served on. But I'm a big fan of Benny Tadino's. And for me, when I lived in Hoboken, uh, it was can't miss. It was like $3 a, a slice and some form of soda is really all I would get. But uh, do you have... Well, there was a big problem with the oh, soda. Go ahead. Lean what in. Was, what was the big problem with the soda when we went? When we went today? No, I know when we went... Uh, oh, sorry. When we went the other day. Uh, the, uh, one of the guys, that he wanted to charge me a dollar for a refill. I think he was joking, um, but here's the thing: I don't, I don't joke about that. It was yeah. disrespectful. It was very disrespectful. Yeah, Does it, hasn't he heard of the black cast? I guess the answer is no. But uh, yeah, so I was very upset because it was like, you know, also it was cold outside. I didn't need another uh, cold beverage, mm -hmm. but uh, you paid for that, and you paid for uh, an iced tea for me too. So I, I don't have anything. I got, I gave you a water. Give me water. I don't think I've made up for that though. I, I think uh, I'm still like seven, eight dollars in the hole. I might have to use the bathroom after. My Emergency situation. Okay, so then in that situation, then you all owe me eight more dollars, depending on how emergency the situation is. You know, the cleaning lady already came today here at the. It is immaculate. It, it looks nice, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, Adam, lean into the mic and let's uh, let's uh, tell the story again. Uh, we have told it before, but uh, tell people a little bit about how we met uh, when we were both members of the NBC Page program at Thirty Rock Photo Center in New York. I was looking for the photo with me and you, but yeah, um, I was an incoming. Uh, page and that was 19 years ago um, in a few weeks and uh, Christian was a uh, veteran page at the time and he 
was, I believe, so this was fall of 99, you were the um, uh, key person, was it? Yeah, so I started January 99, and I had, I think I had the, at that point, that fall, I had the Rosie O'Donnell show assignment. So I was at the little stand outside the studio. I kept track of everybody that uh, came and went. And uh, I had also worked the 8-H desk at Saturday Night Live. Yeah, so you started. Oh, wow. So when did, when did you do that? The beginning of it? September? Or uh, I did that in May. And there wow. a lot, like, basically all the desk pages left because they all got real jobs. And because I had interned there, I was able to call in favor. And they put me in on the desk. And my favorite, by the way, uh, the last couple shows of the 98-99 season, which was Jimmy Fallon, uh, Horatio Sands, and Chris Parnell's first season. So there I was. uh, I was able to call in a favor. And my favor was with a woman who headed rights and clearances at the time, whose husband happened to be... Jeff Zucker. So I was able to call in that favor and lo and behold, look at this, I had the 8-H desk assignment for the end of the year. Now, when the fall came around, they had new desk pages who needed to be trained. Well, who was the only person still left in the page program who could train them? Little old me. And that so first, you be, so you get to do Rosie during the week, and then mm-hmm. SNL. and then SNL, wow. yeah. And uh, I think I got pneumonia from like working too many hours, but uh, that was a fun week. I, I didn't mind paying for it uh, with my health, you know, because I, I pulled through. I, I lived through it. So uh, what happened is that I ended up being the desk page on the Saturday Night Live 25th anniversary special, wow. which uh, turned out to be quite a thrill. It was a very exciting night for me, which is funny because they just had their well, a couple years ago they had their 40th anniversary special so uh, that'll just uh, let you know how long ago this was and how old I am Adam is still uh, has a youthful boyish exuberance but uh, so when do you come into the mix in October or yeah it was November 99 November 99 I came in uh, with Simi and uh, Jason Fox right and Simi who now uh, he produces a number of shows including Impractical Jokers on True TV and Sammy Sedaris' show so he's uh, very successful behind the scenes. He's a very accomplished voiceover and if anybody had ever spoken to Simi, you'd hear his voice and be like, oh, that guy should do voiceovers. He used to do commercials. Very exciting to see success like that. So you came in the same time as he did. Yes. What were your aspirations for being an NBC page? What did you hope that you were going to get to do? For about a year and a half prior to that, I was working at Virgil's Barbecue in Times Square. So I, I, and they were like the first community that like adopted me, but I wanted to get into entertainment and uh, I had asked a few of the uh, waiters there, you know, like, how do you get it? And they said, like, Regis had been a page at NBC. So then I, I started to do that. And then Robin Okers, who we both know, uh, yeah, I, college I, with Robin. Yeah, and, Robin started when I did. Uh, he was a roommate of mine for a short time. Well, for most of that 1999 year, I, I lived in a railroad apartment in Hoboken with three other people. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily sound appealing until you find out that I paid $425 a month in rent. And even in 1999 dollars, uh, that is a that is a huge steal. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know that you could get a, a cabinet in an apartment in Hoboken for 425 dollars now. Yeah. You know I don't think you could sleep in a closet, possibly a bathtub. If it, maybe if it's a stand stand up shower, but I don't think you can get a room for that. So uh, you got into it through your friends at Virgil's Barbecue, and uh, do you still eat at Virgil's Barbecue? Is that good barbecue here in New York? Yes. 
uh, big, big time. Hats off to Virgil's Barbecue, 44th Street. It's uh, right near uh, ABC. Uh, the studios for Good Morning America. It, it, it's fabulous. The studios for Good Morning America, where I was earlier today to see our friend Tom Kelly. So did you get to get in the audience? I, I sat in the audience and I got to watch Tom Mark. I got to watch him do his thing. And you know who I saw was a former NBC page, Sarah Haynes. Oh, well, now was it that show you went to? It's both shows. So Good Morning America and then there's something called uh, GMA Day. And now they tape it at 11 or whatever for the, o'clock? Or no, the, yeah, they do it right after Good Morning America. So they start at like, they do it like 9.30 to 10.30. They give themselves like a half hour to uh, reset. As but then were. they tape it. It's, is it live or is it taped? No, it's a live to tape, as they say in the business, which a lot of shows are, because uh, you can save money not having to edit them. All right, so you get into the NBC Page program. And what, uh, what did, did you like? Uh, one of the things that we had to do is we had to give tours. Did you like uh, taking people around the studios and telling tourists uh, things that were mostly true, but we were also given some bum information that we were required to pass along to tourists in those days? Um, yes, and you were one of the people I went on my one of my first tours, and you did an excellent job. I uh, took pride in my tours. I tried. I tried to have me oh, this is why you're here, to uh, make me feel better about it. But I, I don't know. I felt like people spent money. They came from out of town. These are people who are excited about television. As a kid, I would have loved to have been on that tour and gone into some of those studios, some of those exact same studios and seen some of the things going on. So I just tried to reflect that. And, uh, you know, you can sprinkle in some jokes is nice. You know, you get people to laugh and uh, everybody has fun. You know, the NBC tour was very affordable when I started working there. It was like $10. It went up a little bit more. I think it went to uh, 1650 Yeah. which I remember thinking that like, you know, but then they were like, the tours were bigger and there that were two pages like on 40 them. bucks and it went way I, I yeah. Went, yeah I mean I, I didn't go on one but it was like 40, it was like 35 or 40 bucks now when you started giving the tours was it still the like smaller tour group you by yourself or were you always paired up with someone else I always paired up with someone else okay I, unless uh, they were sick on weekends we were hungover which was not right yeah, no, that was that was definitely not, but that happened a lot, you know. Yeah. And some very good friends, some very responsible members of the television community uh, now uh, are people yeah. who would be too hungover to do their job on Saturdays. You remember names? <laughs> yeah, I've got a few in my head, but I'll just we'll just keep them. I don't know. I won't mention them. Yeah, but, but we're thinking of right now. Yeah. We're thinking the same names. And uh, the uh, little cash cow was you could get overtime if it was a, a Saturday where you'd work SNL. And that was like loading the audience, and there were a bunch so of So would you give tours all day Saturday and then work Saturday night? So you'd work from like like 9 in the morning till 2, two in the morning? That That's the dream. That's the dream that you want. And you'd get a voucher for a car service to yeah, go back true. to Hoboken. Or, uh, I would often use that car voucher to go all the way upstate to my parents' house. because that's Is that like, true? Yeah, I would. Because you could, they would take you anywhere you wanted to go. And I was like, so I'm like, oh, so I'll be there, you know, Sunday morning and then... Uh, you know, get back to Hoboken that night, that sort of thing. So uh, you're packed in there, you know, you're giving tours. You, the uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien was going on at the time and Rosie O'Donnell's show. Those were kind of the big shows that you would also... Dayline, Stone Phillips. Yeah, but those the shows I'm mentioning are the ones that you really had audience for. A little later, there was something called Later Today, oh, yes, which yes, was on was right that, after the yeah. Today Show. Actually, yeah, by the time you came, I think that had started or... I think it was just, I, did it start in, in 2000 or did it I, can't, I think it might have started in 99. Yeah. But because I had the Rosie assignment, I didn't really. There was only it. one season, so that second year wasn't yeah. there. Yeah, so there you go. Well, we did a lot of tour. We, like, 
we, there was always open for tourists and nobody wanted to see it because you only saw three. Yeah. Typically on a tour, our tour, you only saw three places. And it was tough because, uh, especially on weekends, sometimes there would be a bunch of studios open and you'd have to choose. So you'd try to kind of get a feel for what people wanted to see. And usually they were happy with, if you if they got to see Conan, Rosie, and SNL, those were the, oh the studios. Wow, yeah, yeah, but every once in a while I hear somebody's like, oh, I was hoping to see Dateline. And I was like, well, I didn't know that. But a lot of times. You'd have to go to the third floor. Yeah, and you'd be like, let's just. For keep... Studio 3K, where sports was at the time. Yeah, uh, the what NBA the and NBC. For? Uh, I don't know, actually. Do you? Do you? I'm not sure, but. Oh. but, uh, but uh, I, thought you had a, I thought you had some good insight there. Does it stand for K? Kostanowitz for Simi K? Maybe. Yeah, that's probably what it is. All right, so. But that get... was the, where Howdy Duty was, so we'd always say, no matter where they were standing, you're currently standing in Dutyville. <laughs> I remember that now, but uh, I forgot yeah, that oh I God, very rarely you. gave a tour of that studio. So uh, I think even when it was open, I was just like, I will just close it. All right, all right, but Christian, this is a huge page tour uh, question. I'm going to give you $1 bill if you get it right. All right. On the Howdy Doody show, Claire Bill, the clown, mm -hmm. spoke once. It was on the last show. She said uh, two words. Or like, or like three words, of, you know. She said th three syllables. Okay. If you can tell me what the syllables were in, in word form, I'll give you a buck. You know, I, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, if I were sitting with a lot of people, I would give a very rude answer. But I feel like uh, Adam Wade likes to keep it clean. I probably was good. I, you know, there's some people that they were sitting next to me, I would have used the C word. I would have been like, oh, she must have said this. You know, but I actually don't know. So now that you've, uh, you've teased us, what is the last thing that she said on the final installment of Howdy Doody? Clarabelle the Clown said, Goodbye, kids. I do remember reading that in the tour manual, now that you say it. Goodbye, kids, which, you know, we'll say a little later. We'll say goodbye to the kids. Uh, so when you became an NBC page, what what was your goal? Like, I want to get assigned to work for, I think it was usually 10 weeks, on this show or this department. What were you looking to try and do more than anything else when you became a page at the National Broadcasting Company? It's gonna be like a corny answer, but it's true. Like I was just happy to be in 30 Rock. I mean, I was really, really just excited to be, I, I didn't really have a clue. I probably like Conan or SNL and stuff like that, or Rosie, like one of the more entertaining shows as opposed to like sports or whatever. But I was just excited just to be in the building. Um, I, I found it, I found it just very, very, very excited just to be there. I, I, like in this time of the year, I, it was funny because I was just walking in Times Square about half hour, two hours ago. And the excitement, I, I, I don't like that area of the city. It's not my favorite area of the city, but this time of the year, there's just a lot of uh, like nostalgia with me because that's where like Virgil's is and NBC. And then when I was starting that job at NBC, I was just very excited, you know. For me, being in Times Square at seven in the morning, that reminds me of what it felt like to be an NBC page, walking through sort of one of the busiest areas in the country, the entire world, and there's be, there's almost no people there. There's a scene shot in Times Square in the movie Vanilla Sky, the Cameron Crowe movie that uh, Tom Cruise is in, uh, Penelope Cruise as well, and they, you see it, and anybody, and I've talked to uh, my friend Tim Sicardo, I've talked to other pages 
pages that I've seen. It's like we all know like, oh, that's Sunday morning because Sunday morning <laughs> going through there is just dead. And there's like a very eerie quiet in Times Square Sunday morning. This was like people were getting ready to go to work. Some people need to be worked out early. Uh, but being there today, it, it took me back because uh, I usually don't get up that early when I'm here in New York. But uh, I did it for a friend, Tom Kelly, because I wanted to see him work. Coming on the bus to the city to go to NBC, how would you, where would you walk from Port Authority to 30 Rock? I want, I want to know that. This is a great question. Now, this is, this is some real inside baseball. Now, I had figured out that the best way to walk is not up 42nd Street and down Broadway because it's just too crowded. So uh, I would walk up 8th Avenue, go through, I think, 44th, cut through Schubert Alley, and there were a couple of hotels that you could cut through. And then before you knew it, you're up at 49th, and then you went up. And I remember when I moved in with my roommates in Hoboken, I explained to them, like, you have to take this route because at this time of day, it's faster. And it took a couple months because they were just like, whatever, we'll see you there. And they realized like, oh yeah, it makes a difference. You know, at this like time of day. Minutes, you could shave 10 minutes yeah, off the walk. you could easily you shave 10 minutes off the walk. Because, you know, look, when you, you, a big city like New York, you have a lot of tourists in Times Square. And they, they don't move fast. And they're hard to get around. And you have to kind of wait for the light to change to be able to get to the other side of the street. When you're on some of the side streets that they're not all so crowded on, you're able to move much faster. Especially, look, a lot of the time it's a little cold and you just want to get inside the building, you know? So you walk with, you walk with purpose. Is that what you would do? Uh, or would you do would you do something different? Adam? No, I'm, and I'm, I'm just writing it down on my phone on my notes. I'm not being rude. Um, no, it's just for something for. No, it's just a fact because I, I, I like that. I like that. Um, Is that the way you would walk though when you would go? Because you would also well, you didn't live in Hoboken at the time, did you? I could, but I could, but I no, I couldn't. But I lived in Fairview, and, and that, that that is definitely the way I walk. Oh, and you also came into Port Authority. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is. Um, Really inside stuff for people who took New Jersey Transit into Port Authority in the late nineties, early. 2000s. No, but but but, but then like what? Like John Acarino worked at NBC. There's certain yeah. guys that worked at NBC that would take the take the bus, and and that that like I don't know how everybody whether they talked to you or but people figured that walk off, and I just remember I mean it, it was like like if you walked like at a fast pace like Thirty Rock from Forty Nine West Forty Ninth to the Port Authority. About 12 minutes. Yeah, exactly. You had to have everything go your way. You don't miss lights because yeah. the way you're cutting. It, it, yeah, it, and you're able to call an audible, and it's like, well, this light is red. I'm going to go this way, and then I'll cross down there. Yeah, and, and you walked from 49th down to Second Ave, 42nd, and then walked over from Sixth Ave to Port Authority. With that traffic and stuff, it would take you um, instead of 12 minutes. It would take you probably 45 minutes. I think you're right. Yeah, it would definitely it would take it would take far too long. Is is clearly the point. All right. So your page at NBC and what assignments did you get? I don't even know if I remember what you worked on, uh, other than giving tours. What did I you? Worked, uh, I was the assistant to one of the vice presidents, um, Steve Fastick. Oh sure, yeah. Um, the other one, six uh, A desk for Conan O'Brien, and then oh, I didn't remember you doing that. That yeah, must have been after. That was my last. last. Yeah, it was my last assignment. Last hurrah! And uh, I worked for Net A and P, advertising and promotion. So, uh, working up close with Conan, uh, did you uh, talk to him much? I mean, I found as an intern, if he was in the elevator with you, he would make small talk. A lot of people from my college, Marist College 
also interned at Conan, so he's like, you're part of the Maris Mafia, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. And he would be like, you got really drunk this weekend, didn't you? And, you know, even if it wasn't true... Mark Montgomery got a marriage too. Yeah, Mark Montgomery, John Murray. uh, And Mark, John, and myself were all in an improv comedy group together called the Hugh Marist, the Humorists, but it's spelled Hugh Marist. Now, did you all graduate at the same time or different years? No, I was older than them. They, uh, Yeah, so actually... I was one year ahead of Mark, two years ahead of John. So uh, we, uh, I think it was 90, 98, 99, 2000. Yeah, I love both of those guys. Uh, John I kept in slightly better contact with. I, just, I haven't seen Mark Montgomery in a while. I've had I had, a, had drinks with him in, at the hotel in Beverly Hills a, a couple of years ago. Actually, probably like 10 years ago. Uh, closer to 15 now that I think about it. It was like 13 years ago. But whatever. You know, it's good, a, a good guy uh, all the Very same. Good. So, uh, but talk a little bit about if you're assigned to a show like Late Night with Conan O'Brien, what it means as that page. What, it, what are some of the things that you're required to do? Hi, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you, you're on the floor of the studio uh, and during tape days, you're pretty much like the glue that holds every, everything together. You got to have all the scripts organized on your desk when people are coming by, picking them up, the jokes, um, the, the rundowns, all that type of stuff. Uh, all the guests, you have to have them sign paperwork for casting. Yeah, just releases to, releases. you know, yeah. The, and they also have to fill out paperwork to make sure that uh, they get paid. And uh, what a friend had told me about is a lot of times when you had sort of like the, not really extras, but the small part actors and sketches, usually they didn't they didn't work a lot. So when they fill out their paperwork, when they put dependents, they would put like nine dependents so that they would get as much of the check as possible uh, up front and they'd worry about paying their taxes the next year. You oh, know? Really uh, and a lot of models would do that when they were on you know some of the other shows. It's just like, because you you work so sporadic. It's a fun fact. Yeah, it's a little fun fact, a little paperwork fact. Look, you get mass transit facts, you get... Uh, Network release facts. You get so many good facts here on the Blackcast. This is what happens when Adam Wade and I get together here. What are what was maybe one highlight, two highlights from uh, working on the Late Night with Conan O'Brien show as the page? I got to meet Henry Winkler, who's the Fonz. Hey, um, you'd always been a fan of the Fonz. Did you? hope to one day grow up and be like the Fonz like as a little kid he always seemed like oh that's what that's what everybody should want to be you don't want to be Richie definitely don't want to be Potsy or Ralph you know uh, there'd be something to be said for being Arnold you know running a respectable establishment that's uh, always busy but uh, the Fonz was really he was the dream right you didn't want to be Mr. C yeah I wanted to be Fonzie wearing a jacket right now and it's the same hue of color the first season of the first season of Happy Days uh, Arthur Fonzarelli was not allowed to wear a leather jacket yeah is that correct that is absolutely correct yes and you know the thinking behind it right uh he was not allowed to be seen on a motorcycle fonzie because uh they didn't want the leather jacket they just didn't want to perpetuate the idea of gangs and gang culture so they were afraid of that in 1970s america looking back at the 50s you know taking a very fond nostalgic look at the 50s uh but there's just sort of the one moment that uh you know it's kind of a thing like yeah that'll really sour the portrayal of it but then after a season i think the show was such a hit uh, that's why I think Gary Marshall is able to be like, hey, he needs to wear the leather jacket. Like, he's cool. He's not wearing a windbreaker, you know? My but bo- the first season, what did he wear? 
Yeah, I thought it was like a windbreaker. Like it's, that. Yeah. it's very common. Well, it's funny that you say that, though, because uh, my boss, Dennis Miller, has told a story about just some event. I think it was a charity event uh, at Madison Square Garden, and he had gotten a new jacket, and he loved his new jacket, and I think his wife didn't love the new jacket. And uh, Bill Murray himself makes fun of Dennis's jacket, and he's like, one of the things that he said that I always thought was funny, he's like, what are you, Fonzie from season one of Happy Days? Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a text message from a friend, Tom Kelly. He's not gonna make it down here before you have to get back to Hoboken, but- uh, Are you just coming down now? I'm gonna meet up with him a little later, you know? I think, uh, I think, Tom Kelly, he's used to people going up to him. You know, he has a luxurious apartment up there, and- uh, Does it really? uh, Let's put it this way. Does he live in Columbus Circle? He lives a little bit, a a little bit over from Columbus Circle, but he has a one bedroom, but it has like sort of a downstairs that you walk to get into the living room. So it just feels, he says it's deceptively large. How did we get that? He's had it for like 15 years. He's probably had it for close to 20 years now that I'm doing all the math. So I think that's, for a, big, that's a big part of it because in New York City, if you can hang out in an apartment that long. Uh, so meeting the Fonz, that was that was just a high point of being at NBC. That was, uh, that's the one takeaway you have is getting to meet the Fonz. Not season one Fonz, sort of later in life Henry Winkler, who wasn't really the Fonz anymore, but still very cool. You know, I would say if a jukebox broke today, that Henry Winkler could hit it and it would work. Do you think that's accurate? No. Uh, maybe. You won't. Co- you won't commit to this theory of mine. We're going to stay on this for another twenty minutes but until I'm... you come around to my way of thinking, Adam. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. That, you know, look, being a page was a lot of fun. I always say it was sort of like. It was like TV summer camp, you know, because we're all about the same age. We wear these uh, dopey little uniforms and you work so much, you can't get the uniform dry cleaned. That was one of the things that uh, Sarah Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uniform and dry clean, like, did did they give you a uniform or not? Because we had to pay for our stuff. Oh, I no. bring my own sport coat and everything. No, they gave us a sport oh, coat. So and outside. We, had to, we had to provide the pants, I think. Actually, when I started, they gave us pants, but I started wearing other pants so that I could get the yeah, pants washed. There was a page, uh, it's a difference between that time, because you, yeah, we, we actually had to, the, you know, you're in the page program. The only thing they gave us was a tie, so we had to, everything else we, we had to buy. Wow, yeah, we didn't have to do that. You got the peacock tie too, right? Because we had sort of a different checkered tie and then eventually we got the peacock ties. I think I have one somewhere. However you got the jacket as a page, it was very hard to get it dry clean because you worked probably six days a week and it would take two days to get dry cleaning back. So it wasn't until I had an assignment like out in Fort Lee at CNBC. Oh, that I was wow. finally yeah, able. And that's a great one. Yeah. So I was finally able. You take a car from 30 Rock? No, no, I wish. I would uh, take the bus into Port Authority from Hoboken and then the bus back out to Fort Lee. So and now, I, did Sakarno have the MSNBC or is it, am I wrong? Uh, you're wrong about that. He did uh, like oh, Bano yeah. scheduling. Okay, uh, yes. He what did is that, broadcast? Yeah, 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 he did so. that while I was. Yeah. I thought he also did. No, maybe I was wrong. No, you know, I, he didn't do anything like out in Secaucus where MSNBC used to be and the MLB network is now. Uh, so uh, anyway, so you had this uniform. It was usually not clean, but we had a lot of fun. There were a lot of parties. Uh, I, for a time, lived in the party house in Hoboken, but there were so many I bars. Was in that house. Yeah, you, you visited that house. And, uh, you know, because as I mentioned, it was a railroad apartment. There was a sliding door to my room that came off. 
and uh, then the door to my room would be the the table for uh, beer pong and um, you know all sorts of drinking games. So you know, I, obviously, if there was a party, I wasn't going to bed. But at that point in my life, why would I want to go to bed if there was a party? Now, if there's a party, I want to hide from it. You know, I don't. I, you know, I'll go to a party. I'll make an appearance for a little while, but I don't want to party at my house. You know what I want to do in my house, Adam? I want to sleep because I'm old now. I have two kids. You know, I don't have time for that kind of thing. So what I want to transition to talking about, we talked a lot about the MC Page program. That's how I know you. Uh, and we have talked about this a little bit on the podcast before and on a Facebook Live the other day. Uh, it's funny because I'm wearing these headphones so I hear every horn that's honking off in the distance. But I wanted to give you a few minutes to talk sort of about how you got into the world of storytelling and, uh, you know, uh, how you have a class for it and all that good stuff. Sure, sure, yeah. I, uh, I I got into it. I was doing a lot of shows with a lot of the pages, like Chris, Christian and Tom Kelly, uh, Mark Montgomery, John Murray, uh, Andrew Goldstein, Matt Goldich, who's at uh, Seth Myers now. He's doing well. Um, and then, uh, you know, the years after, I just struggled. I played the guitar and I would sing and, and tell stories and songs. And it, it came to a point where the stories were better than the songs. Yeah, and, and I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but it, it, it'll just take a second. I, I think it's great to share when people get good advice from people oh, yeah. who are established in, in show business. So talk about the decision to take the songs out of React, which I thought the songs were very funny. I think that the stories were just better. It's like not that the songs weren't good. It's just the, the stories were you so like good. Platter? No, I, I, are you kidding me? I just said I love Google Platter. Uh, supermodels and McDonald's. Like I, yeah, I love the songs. Wow, that's 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 a, that's, a, that, that's a true fan. Yeah, yeah I'm not a Wade Wanda. That's a B, B, yeah. B song. That's a B side. That's that's on the single. That's the flip side. But uh, talk about that decision and who influenced your decision to just focus on the storytelling aspect of it. I was working as a production assistant at Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, and Colin was like a really good guy. He's a very good guy, and um, you know, I'm driving the van as a passenger, picking up props, and and he was just nice enough to say, like, "Hey, Adam, I heard you do comedy. Can I, can I, uh, can I see like a video of you doing it?" And uh, I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I, I showed it to him. Um, it wasn't like a five minute thing. It was like you know, twenty minutes, half hour at least a half hour. We watched it and he talked about it and he just said, stop playing the guitar, stop singing. And, and, and he goes, you, do you mind if I'm really honest? I'm like, yeah, he goes, stop doing that and just work on the stories. And he's like, just be you. And now you look back at how many years ago, so that was probably what, like 2000, 2001? 2002, 2003. So 15 years ago, you get this advice. And do you think that that advice from Colin Quinn, you're like, yeah, things really started clicking at that point because you were able to focus on just telling the stories, maybe developing new stories and not worrying about writing songs and, you know, allotting your time to like an even mix of the songs and the stories. No, absolutely. It was an invaluable. It was an invaluable um, to, to get some feedback from, from someone that I admired and I had been following since... Uh, when he was on MTV on remote control, and then he had uh, Colin Quinn going back to Brooklyn with Ben Stiller. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff that, and he had a big influence. So to get to work on that show, and then to have him take the time to, um, out of his busy day, I mean, he's, you know, he was the showrunner. I mean, he was the man in charge of his own show, and took a half hour during during uh, production of, of the show to, to talk to me about comedy. Uh, it was just a very, very uh, humane uh, thing to do. 
And he was always very encouraging in my career because when I was an intern at SNL, he had just started doing Weekend Update and I was lucky enough to be able to contribute jokes, to, to be considered. And if he ran into me in the elevator, he knew my name because your name would always be at the top of the jokes when you submit them. So he didn't just know my name was Christian, he was like Christian Blatt. And he was just in that very congregate, Christian Blatt, you, just, you know the way he talks. And he would just say, we need jokes about this, we need, you know, because whatever they were looking for at that point, if he ran into me in the elevator, he would say, yeah, give us some jokes on this. And it was always really, I don't know, I just was like, you didn't need to do that, especially to an intern. And I always thought it was great. And uh, I did sell a joke to him for $100. And people were like, oh, did you keep the check? I'm like, no, I cashed the check. It was for $100. But I did make a photocopy of it. So I have the photocopy in, in the archives. And uh, so, you know, great guy. Uh, somebody I've loosely kept in touch with over the years. I've gone to a couple of his shows. And when I write to him, you know, he'll remember who I am. When I, I literally ran into him on the street once. And uh, he probably just thought I was somebody recognizing from TV. But then he realized it was me. You got a hug, you know, so it's great. So he's a great guy, and that's great advice that he gave you. Because, as I said, as entertaining as an Adam Wade performance was circa 1999, 2000, uh, to just focus on the storytelling, talk about where that has led you and how it has also led to you doing the role of, of teacher, basically, in passing yeah. along your knowledge. I want to mention one thing, though, before that, while I was doing these shows and stuff, uh, do you remember we did an Acme Underground show? It was like me, you, Tim Sicardo, and Chris Cerny. It was like the Adam Wade. I don't know what it was. Just like the oh, the Adam, Adam Wade uh, talk show. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. And, and Cerny was there. You did something. You did like the update, and, and yeah, and, uh, and, and Cerny was like the announcer. And you filmed that, right? I, I don't know if I. You know, I might have it filmed. I know I recorded it, and we have a bunch of photos. I should. I'll, I'll look for the I, photos. I would like, even if you only have audio of it. Sicardo and I talked about that at some point over the years. And Tim Sicardo has been a past guest on the podcast too. He was my roommate uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles. I've also known him about as long as I've known Adam, a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, we we went from Shea Stadium where the Red Sox were playing the Mets that day in interleague, and we uh, went down to the show that uh, Adam was doing. And we had just developed a website, uh, Tim Sicardo and myself. So we were uh, trying out some new characters. We wanted to talk about our inside joke website, which it does. It's not really beneficial to give the web address because it's not there anymore. But anyway, so we did this show, and that was kind of the fun thing about being pages. You had a lot of people who wanted to perform in front of the camera. So we started doing these talent shows. We did an NBC talent show, which, believe it or not, hosted by Al Roker, which I always feel like if I run into Al Roker, I wanna just tell him thank you. Thank you for putting up with us and hosting the, the, the NBC page talent show. And uh, we would have him on as a guest on Dennis Miller's radio show. He would uh, he was writing a lot of sort of like mystery thrillers, suspense novels, those sort of things. And I would uh, I would always be like, I want to say thank you for uh, for emceeing the NBC talent the NBC page talent show. But at the same time, I was like, eh, you know, he's on hold for thirty seconds. Does he want really want to have that conversation with me? So uh, that's probably my own problem. That probably would have been a fun conversation. So it started out as doing the uh, NBC page talent show, and then we did a series of shows as Sweet Polyester, where uh, that 
some of the only time that I've done stand-up. I've done stand-up other times. I've done open mics. You did like a really good job on those. You did. I mean, I, I remember that you do the news. You I would do well. I did, like at the talent update. show, I would do a weekend update, and it was easy because it was jokes that I had spent a lot of time on that SNL hadn't bought. So I would do those, and I would have them in front of me on a little podium. So it, yeah, that's the kind of delivery I was most comfortable with. Standing on stage telling jokes uh, was fun. Well, but there's a little bit of stress. Seth Meyers does now, right? He doesn't do a monologue. Yeah, he sits at the, it's a deskalogue now is what they call it, what Seth does. And you started that. Yeah, I was the first guy. No, I was just doing a weekend update in front of an audience. And the problem was that uh, when I would do stand-up, I would remember my jokes. I would know how they went. But I was never as comfortable. But being on stage telling jokes, definitely fun. But... You'd have to go stand in Times Square and hand out flyers, and you see it to this day, you know. And I, I always try not to be too dismissive to those people because I've done it, and it's terrible. So it's like the other 23 hours and 55 minutes weren't fun in a day where I got to do five minutes of stand-up at, at midnight. And that was a problem with open mics, too, was that I didn't live in the city. You know, uh, when I lived in Hoboken, it wasn't as big of a deal. But then when I moved back to the rural suburbs where I grew up, it was a lot harder. It was like, yeah, if I don't go on before 1130, uh, I'm going to miss my bus. So uh, I kind of stopped doing it. I really wanted to focus on uh, writing and I was much more comfortable doing that. Um, I've, I've been encouraged by people to have, you know, to try stand up again, but it's, yes, it yes, seems really yes. hard to no, start doing do it at 42. My wife wants me to do it. danger field. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although he had given it a go as Jack Roy and then he tried again and he invented the Rodney Danger. But, so is that what I need to do? I need to invent I, a character? I, no, I just, I, oh, I tell you. I get no respect. No, not that. Christian, because he's already done that. We want Christian back. I, I, I think you you got a lot to offer. Christian. You think that you think that the world of comedy needs more of me? You think that my talents are not best suited for the black cast? Both, both, both. both. Uh, so you get into sort of telling stories and and not doing the songs. Talk about the first time. I don't think I've ever asked you about this before. The first time that you go up on stage, where you're like, all right, I'm not going to do a song. I'm just going to tell stories were you worried that you weren't able to like then transition to the song or you just were confident like this story is going to do really well uh what was your thought basically uh, you know the first time after you get Colin's advice where you're like all right i'm not going to do any songs well it was a book gig on like a, a, a variety show the reason why i was getting booked on a lot of alternative comedy shows mainly because i had a guitar and i didn't really understand that i i, I gotta admit because if you're doing like one of these shows, you have like six or seven stand-ups, and to have like some, like a musical comedy guest or any type of musical act like in the middle for like ten minutes, kind of breaks everything up, and it was really nice. So I was, I was but and, and for me, it was lucky. It was I was getting booked on a lot of shows, and it was one of these things where there's probably like ten shows in the city, and I was like getting booked on one per month, and then every year I would get back, or you know what I mean. So there was like a cycle. So I, I was currently at, I I was doing like a lot of shows. Um, then I started showing up without the guitar, and I was nervous performance-wise uh, because I didn't have my shield. I saw my guitar as the shield, and, and if, if the words, the jokes weren't, you know, the setup wasn't working, I knew I could rely on the song. Um, but since I didn't have that, I, I became a lot more nervous. And as far as the bookers of those shows, um, and there were my friends in it, but I, I can understand now, but it, it was tougher at that time. It was just like, 
you know, we're booking you because you're a guitar act. So like, if you don't bring the guitar, like they would be like, you know, like, yeah, we're good. You know, so it was, it was kind of tough. Some of, not all the shows, but a few of them wouldn't book me anymore because, uh, yeah, and, and again, I wasn't very good either. So that was part of it without it. Without the guitar, I was taking a few steps back. So uh, when you're sort of going up and telling these stories, you know, as opposed to the songs, talk about Moth, Magnet Theater, and all that stuff, how you get involved there. Uh, and eventually this leads to the teaching, but we're not at that point in the story yet. Yeah, yeah, I started doing the moth, which is uh, story slams, and at the time they were like once a month and you go and, you, and they give you a theme and you have to work on like a five minute story without notes. And I started doing that and it was great. Uh, there were great audiences, sold out audiences right from the start. Um, and the good thing with those shows were um, people weren't looking for you to be funny, you could just be yourself and you were getting laughs. If, you, if I try to be funny, I wouldn't get the laughs so much. And then after that, uh, you know, I started doing well, and, and I, uh, I I was hanging out at the Magnet Theater. I had a few friends that were doing improv there, and uh, I, I asked if I could try to teach a class in, in storytelling there for, you know, a lot of the improv students and stuff, and I did that about eight and a half, almost nine, almost nine years ago to the, you know, the month. Uh, I asked them if I could start, and it's been, I've been doing it since. It's been great. And it's not just improvisers now, it's actors, actresses, finance people, uh, lawyers, uh, just, you know, just people that just like enjoy the art of storytelling. So I've been very, very lucky. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, regardless of what walk of life someone's in, everybody has interesting stories to tell, some more than others. It just depends on how comfortable they are telling them. And one of the things that uh, I recently talked to you about was you were talking about trying to be funny and not always working. Sometimes if, it, if what happens is naturally funny, it's great. But sometimes people tell stories that they're telling a story about, you know, possibly remembering a loved one who passed away, something that's actually very moving, right? Does that happen, you know, fairly often that somebody's telling more of an emotional story? Maybe it has a humorous moment here or there, but it's not designed to be a funny story, right? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Uh, there's a good mix, even in the classes that I'm teaching, uh, kind of open it up. I, I want to I want to have them just talk and, and be themselves. So it's been, that's what I'm going for. Um, and, and it's been very interesting, like kind of inspiring and not in a corny way. It's inspiring to see people just show what they have to offer. And, and, and in the, these stories, it's almost like uh, in a lot of ways, like comic books, like the origin, like a lot of times, whatever they're talking about, somehow incorporates into their origin story. And I think it's very nice. In this time of the world and everything, it's right. very nice. And how long have you been teaching uh, storytelling? Uh, how many years ago did you uh, first? Yeah, so nine years. Nine years ago. Nine years. Yeah. Uh, and time uh, flies it, it when does. you're telling stories when you're telling stories and we're telling stories about how long I've known you which is uh, you know a mere, long time. mere 19 years uh, yeah. almost 20 we're getting close next year will be uh, 20 years since I started the page program and then throughout the course of that year there'll be all these people that I'll have known for 20 years you know, and well, you started in what ninety January January ninety nine. It was wow. Martin Luther King Day. Was the day that I started. so you're on. You're almost twenty years. Yeah. I know it's crazy to think. Now, did you work? Uh, and I believe you did the Millennium concert with Sting. I did not work that. Oh, I know a lot of people who did work that, but I decided I wanted to celebrate the Millennium not working. But my friend Tim Sicardo did. I know a lot of people worked. Did you work that? Oh uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So what you was it? Was the high one of the biggest? It was the best. 
Outside of my family, the best New Year, the best New Year's I ever had. Was that one of the most fun things about being oh, engaged? So, fun. so other than yeah. Sting performing, like what happened? So this is obviously not even, Dece- I mean, that, December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine. This the the millennium's about to kick off. Remember, kids, we were worried about what. Y2K. Y2K. We were so worried because oh, all the computers were designed in the 80s and it wasn't designed to go past uh, double zero. Or no, it wasn't designed to go back to double zero. But by the time that Y2K came around, it actually was really overblown and it had all been really easy fixes. But we thought, we were told satellites were going to fall out of the sky. Our technology wasn't going to work. It was going to be like the land. Grid, the grid yeah, it was going to be like Land of the Lost. Do you remember the Land of the Lost TV show with uh, where they end up in the, 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 the mysterious land, mysterious land with dinosaurs in it? You know, modern day people. That's what the movie, Will Ferrell, Danny McBride. Right? I never saw the movie version of that. Was it good? You enjoyed it? You're lucky. <laughs> Why did you say it's a great movie if it's not a great movie? That was you're being very polite when you say it's a great movie. So uh, you got to work the Millennium concert, and you didn't work the Thanksgiving Day Parade, did you? We had talked about that the other day, or did not ninety nine, two thousand. Two thousand, you got to. Okay. Now talk about that. You got to work on that Thanksgiving Day Parade, that Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You worked on that for like a month, right? Yes, uh, but I, I was lucky. I only got to work on it for a couple of weeks, which was good. I was finishing my paid ship with uh, Conan, and then I had worked with Steve Fastick, who was, uh, you know, vice president of uh, like the studios. And then he became, he, he also was like the head of everything with the parade. So I got to work with him and Jessica Humper, uh, Humphreyville. Jessica Humphreyville? Yeah. She is a past guest of the Black Cats. She's too. awesome. She's fantastic. What a voice. She's a, a radio personality. She goes by Carson, and she's been on the Black Cats a couple of times. She's awesome. Uh, cool. Uh, ever since she moved to Nashville, she has not been on the Black Cats, but when she used to work up in Syracuse. She's worked. Is she on the station now? She, she's in Nashville now. Yeah, she does, uh, she does a syndicated show. That I forget the name of, but it's you know some some form of country she's awesome. person, she's and awesome. she's on a morning show with like Big D and Bubba, I think are the names of the guys. So she's cool. Yeah, she's very cool, and it's so funny because she loves country music, but anybody who really knows her, her passion, her favorite band is Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been to a Kiss concert with her, and she's she came sweet. out to Los Angeles to go to the to the uh, the Hair Nation Festival a few years ago when my, my son was like a month old and I wasn't like I was like that sounds so awesome but I can't leave our newborn baby with my wife for the entire day so uh, you know I can go see Bullet Boys and you know Enough's Enough so uh, but yeah so uh, she's really awesome she's great uh, so she was Steve's like assistant at the time okay. as a page so I get to work with you know I was like with them too so I was getting coffees and stuff but it was a very cold week but uh, the parade was great. I mean, you're right there. You're in front of Macy's as the parade. And, and it's a long day, right? The, the well, day of the parade, you've got to show up at like, what, one in the morning or something? Because yeah, it, it, it starts yeah. on television at 9 a.m., the parade. Starts at 9 a.m., but like the, the night before, Wednesday night, we do the rehearsal. Right. And literally, like, I think we just stayed because the rehearsal ends and then, like, then the show. I was actually. One of the announcers, like the Al Roker of Finland. So like when they were doing the rehearsals, I was like doing the talking. But I got tape of that. But you didn't, you didn't have to uh, tell people about the weather. You didn't have to. No, 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 yeah. no. Here's what's happening in your neck of the woods. None of that. Good mm-hmm. for you. As you know, we start to wind down here. I did want to talk about it. I should have mentioned it in the intro. Maybe we'll go back and, and cut an intro where I mention it. You have two albums out. Yes. And where do people find them? 
And what are they both called? Okay, great. Yeah, um, they're both storytelling comedy albums. Um, the first one uh, got up to number two on the comedy charts on iTunes. It's called The Human Comedy. Um, and and then that kid got to number three. And then my second one got to number two. It's called Live from the Magnet Theater. Um, and it's Adam Wade, and you can find him at adamwade.com. And, uh, and yeah. both of those words are uh, spelled the way you think they are, but it's always worth saying A-D-A-M-W-A-D-E.com. So that's where you can find all that stuff. And uh, the live at the Magnet Theater, that's a more recent album, the second one, right? How Correct. That was released May 1st. And uh, it's done well. Uh, and what, uh, what benefit do you have of there being albums? Is it like... Obviously, because they're like on iTunes or whatever, you don't carry around CDs, right? No, nope, it's all digital. But all you digital. tell people but it's like, not even on iTunes. It's on Amazon. It's on. Uh, I mean, it, it's on, they're all they're both on like everything. Like okay. Pandora, Spotify, whatever right. you know, Google Play. Uh, whatever they are, Red, Red something, Red Bot or something. There's, I don't even know what that is. I, there's, yeah. there's like a bunch of, whatever you listen to, Google, like, but they're, they're streamed out or, or thrown out there can right, it, digital. Can I hear it on Friendster or is that, that a little bit too Maybe, maybe, reference? maybe. Maybe YouTube? No. Yes, not, you can. But you're, you're probably YouTube. on YouTube. You cannot. No, and the album is on YouTube. So you can just, uh, but you, have, like, I mean, you can buy things on YouTube, which I didn't even realize until probably yeah, a couple years ago now. It's great. Yeah, because I just knew YouTube is the place you go for cat videos and stuff. Well, we got a lot of uh, very positive feedback. I That's was, great. It was, you know, talked. I was written about in the, the the New Yorker. They had a profile on me, and uh, a lot of different comedy sites. And it's been, uh, yeah, the albums were really doing. Both of them have done very, very well. Now we were talking about you getting some great advice from Colin Quinn. Have yeah. you seen him at any point in the last few years? Do you drop him a note every once I in a while? I saw one of his shows at the Cherry Link Theater probably three or four years ago. And I think uh, it's the same one I went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it was at that theater. But once right? in a while, like uh, when he had his health issue, he had a heart attack. Yeah, I, I, remember text, I sent him an email and I emailed me back. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear he's doing all right. I know he's working on. I bumped into him on the street uh, in New York. Like in the last like 15 years, I mean, since I've worked with him, so sure. Like at least two or three times, and it's like, like I'm not a celebrity sighting guy. Like I don't get it. Like I was like legitimately like really excited, and he was like happy to like like yeah. Like he's a yeah. He's a, he's a real salt of the earth guy. He's a great guy, and he's he's incredibly funny. You know what I mean? And yeah, just, we're uh, crying. Like, just, I was just laughing. Just like, naturally funny conversationally. You know. Uh, he's got a great great Twitter too. His Twitter is great. His Twitter is so funny because he's always. It's like if you just read it at face value, you're like, oh, this guy's. This guy's really full of himself, and he's kind of a jerk. But they're like, that's the whole point. Yeah. He's like, just being like, he opens how he br- he's like, just another day of bringing smiles to the world. Now that's not a literal tweet of his, but it's that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. he talks about being the best, and lots of like, ha ha, lol at the he's end of things. He's, he's great, yeah. And uh, to have you're a legend. No, stop. All I have is the black cast and Marvel TV Weekly and the Trump Report and the South. Park after show and the Better Call Saul after show when it's in season. You know, I don't have that much. I just have blackcast.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T.com. You know, I don't, I don't have my name.com. You know, uh, I, like like you have your name.com. Um, I and I, I do want to take one quick moment to talk about your home for the last few years, not your actual residence, but the city of Hoboken. Hoboken. We were talking about Hoboken Pizza, but uh, talk a little bit about what it is about that town 
and just uh, why it's so near and dear to your heart. Not just because you live there. There's something very endearing about Hoboken, isn't there? Yeah, I like it. It's like it's uh, if you've ever watched Sesame Street, it feels like Sesame Street. Yeah, because it's like sort of like the the brownstones and the stoops. It definitely feels like Sesame Street. I think it's one well, square. Good. It's one square mile all the way around, right? It's a small town. I mean, a ton of people live there. I don't even know what number. Do you know have a? General? It's like a hundred thousand now. A hundred thousand. Yeah, so it's not it's not that many, but I mean, it's packed. But it's packed. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a town that had three thousand people. Where you grew up in New Hampshire, how many people were in your town? Do you remember? Uh, well, I was like in the suburbs of Manchester. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I mean, yeah, like a couple of fifty thousand. Yeah. See, that's that's so much bigger than mine. You know. Uh, so you were suited to be a city mouse in the in the big town like Hoboken, clearly. Um, and other than good pizza, just I don't know, it's just good people. You know, and uh, obviously Hoboken. Well, I mean, I moved there, Christian. Because like people like you and Tim Sicarno were there, Kevin Miller. I mean, John Acarino, all, all, all these nice people. Fred Bach uh, that worked at NBC. I mean, I, I went there because you guys were there. You were like my family. You know? It used to be affordable. Like I was talking about spending four hundred twenty-five dollars a month to live there. Uh, obviously, that's a unique situation. Railroad apartment, three roommates. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But uh, it was very affordable, and just even you know two bedrooms back then were fair, you know, more affordable than Manhattan. But then as more and more people have had to move out of Manhattan and Brooklyn has become so expensive, more people are in Hoboken. So now I don't even know where the affordable place is. Is it not even Jersey City? Because Jersey City is nice now, right? Jersey City is nice. Yeah. So it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, our friend Ryan Peterson, who does mornings for the ABC affiliate in Albany in the capital region, great guy. He's uh, in upstate New York in the capital region in New York. And he lived in Jersey City because it was like a little bit more affordable than Hoboken. Also, he was a really big guy, so I felt like he could he could carry himself being on the bus a little bit longer, being on the street a little bit darker. I needed to be right by my bus stop, run up the stairs and hide. You worry if you took the little bus, right? You're right off the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the one, see, we're back to talking about the well, bus. You'd walk across the street. Well, you'd, you'd get off by the school and you'd walk across yeah. the street, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know, you could go. Or was there one right in front of the brownstone? Yeah, but uh, that's the Willow bus, and you didn't always get the Willow bus. Some Sometimes you, you would have to get off the Malibu Diner and then just walk oh, yeah, two so blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Two yeah. blocks. <laughs> two blocks. I know. And two Hoboken blocks. They're, it's like, they're, like two steps. They're two small blocks. All right. So what's next for Adam Wade? You're still teaching. You've got the two albums out. Um, uh, what do you have uh, coming up soon? Are there any shows that... Uh, part of the Gotham Storytelling Festival. If you can go to Adam Wade, AdamWade.com, I'm part of the Gotham uh, storytelling Festival, it's the 7th Annual. All right, so, uh, and the Storytelling Festival, as the name implies, it's uh, just a collection of people telling stories. From Gotham, Gotham. Gotham. They call it the Gotham, yeah. So, is it tied into Gotham Comedy Club, or just Gotham as no, in the Gotham No, yeah, Gotham, because I think uh, New York Storytelling Festival was taken. So, you're not going to tell stories about the Joker, the Riddler, Commissioner Gordon, it's not Gotham in that way, right? It no, is. but that's a great what do you think of that show? Uh, I liked it for a while. Yeah, uh, you know, my, my friend, my friend Will, who I do the podcast with, Will Sterling, he loves Batman, and he had a problem with the show where the whole concept is he'll never be Batman. You know, you'll see all these other things. I found it to be very interesting at first, and then like towards the end of the second season, I just kind of fell behind, and then I was like, oh, it's on, it's on YouTube or no, it's on Netflix. I could catch up. But then I was just like, there's so many episodes. There are a lot of episodes. And there wasn't like this burning desire where like I need to watch it. But I liked 
uh, what Ben McKenzie, the guy who plays yeah, Young Commissioner Gordon. I love Don Lowe. He's great. Like I like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, he's, and, I haven't seen him in a bad role. Like, yeah, exactly. He's in so much good stuff. Uh, my number one guy is, was on it. I don't think he's on it anymore, but he was awesome. Who's that? Michael Chiklis. Oh, the awesome. fish. He do you was know awesome. him or he was awesome. like yes. yes, I do. I thought he's he was awesome. He was I thought awesome. He, is he a New Hampshire guy? Is that why you like no, him? No, he's Greek. Greek Orthodox. Yeah, but he could be from New Hampshire. Oh, he's from Lowell, Mass. Okay, but I knew he's a New England guy because he's friends with uh, Maria Menounos. But he went to the same Kevin. church. He went to the same church as my Aunt Flo. Okay, so yeah, your Aunt Flo is Greek Orthodox. Greek Orthodox. Yeah, and and Maria Menounos and her family. Yeah, they celebrate Easter Greek. together. Yeah, with uh, Stamos. So the thing about Chiklis is that I'll say. I thought he was great as the thing in those two Fantastic yes, Four movies. Yeah. People don't love those Fantastic Four movies. There's things that I think work about them. One of the things that it's hard to argue with, he was great as the thing. Yeah, know? and the shield, the shield yeah. was unbelievable. I, I just I, I, like, I'm not just like, he's another guy, like Colin Quinn and him, if I saw him on the street, I'd be like genuinely, there's a story I tell about my grandmother, my aunt, growing up, we used to always watch the commish. And they played that on the Moth Radio Hour, and um, I know uh, that, that he heard that, and he, he heard us talking about Michael, and he was very, very happy. Was, oh, that's yeah, great. Very, 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 he's a gentleman. He's a great actor, he's a great person. So you've Michael met him at some point and uh, interacted with him? I've interacted just, with him, yeah, on yeah, social media. On social media, and yeah, just because- He's a very, a very good guy. You know who else is a very good guy? Adam Wade. Oh, well, I was pointing at you. You were pointing at me. I am a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy in my own way, you know. Yeah, Christian, you work really hard, and you're a good guy, you know. Well, you know, I work, I work hardest at uh, keeping, uh, keeping the family entertained and happy. The little ones, and I want my, you to promise me something. What's that? Oh, okay, we'll lean into the mic, and you tell me what I got to promise you. I want you. You're gonna start doing more stand-up. I mean, more would be any. So if I do it once, I'll have done more. And I've known people that have gotten into it recently. I have a friend who's actually a little bit older than me and he did it a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I would need to feel really comfortable with the material. Like okay. I don't wanna just go up and write right. it. You I, you're, you're a talented guy. Well, thank you. An ability to host and be able to think on your feet, talk about a variety of topics. Those are good skills. I just don't know that anybody's looking to pay me for that. And uh, that's why I have fun over at After Buzz TV, and that's why I love doing the Blackcast. Because uh, I don't know, I, I can talk for way too long. As anybody who's listened to Blackcast knows, I can just keep on talking. And you know, we're going to keep this one to about an hour, which is crazy. Because uh, usually the Blackcast it'll creep up you know, a little bit more. Some you know, we have an episode that was two hours and fifteen minutes. <laughs> is that crazy? I've listened to podcasts that are even longer than that, so it's not even like a world record. Uh, now, is that something you've ever thought of doing? Is a is a podcast because you tell stories, so or is that going to get your stories out there and then you're not going to be able to tell them on stage anymore? Uh, it, but it seems like something you'd be well suited for. Maybe not even a weekly podcast, or you just want to save it for like albums and stuff. It's got to be the right thing. It's got to be the right thing. Okay, so uh, it would have to be like you telling stories about a specific thing, you know, like uh, like obviously you're you're a fan of uh, New England sports teams. Would you want to do like a seasonal thing, like about yeah, the Patriots would, yeah, or something would, like that? I would, I would like to do that. All right. Well, if anybody wants to uh, start yeah. a Patriots podcast, Adam Wade, they could tweet you at Adam Wade, right? It's just Adam, it's Wade. Adam Wade. I got it. Thank you, John Acarino. He made it. sure that you got it. John Acarino. I hope we get Adam Wade, and then uh, yeah, and that, that that was amazing. Did somebody? 
really have Adam Wayne, and he was able oh, to... Oh, I got it. We, when Twitter started, he was like social media ahead of NBC. Got me that. Yeah, oh. and it's so weird that I wasn't able to get my name. Somebody had my oh. name, and so that's why I ended up at Christian DMZ, because that tied into the Dennis Miller show, the Dennis Miller Zone. The DMZ was the uh, premium membership, and Dennis is Dennis DMZ. So it just it made sense. And when I wasn't working for him, it seemed a little silly, but now I'm working for him again, so it sort of makes sense. I don't know. But that's where you can find me. And of course, the black cast is black cast. Is in there. You really get it, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, professional host for hire. And I should actually stand on a corner down there with the sciences will host for food. Uh, blackcast.com is where you can get your links to this episode and many more. B L A D T C A S T, at blackcast on Twitter, spelled the same way and uh, on Facebook the black cat sorry a text came up and uh, it was like a, a little bit uh, important I might get in trouble for it but that's alright anyway Adam thank you so much I really appreciate it and uh, it's good to do this every once in a while we will see Adam soon and we will see you next time on the black cat yeah